What is atrial fibrillation or AFib and how is it treated? Here to answer those questions and more is Dr. Michael L. Chami, a cardiac electrophysiologist at Emory Healthcare and Associate Professor of Medicine at Emory University School of Medicine. Another in the podcast series, Advancing Your Health with Emory Healthcare. Here's Bill Klaproth. Dr. El Chami, thank you for your time. First off, what is AFib? Yeah, thank you for uh, hosting me on this podcast. Um, atrial fibrillation is an abnormal heart rhythm. It's the most common arrhythmia encountered in clinical practice. And uh, currently, there's around 5 million people in the U.S. who have AFib. And uh, we're seeing an increasing number of patients who suffer this abnormal heart rhythm. So it sounds like it's fairly common. And what puts you at risk of developing AFib? That's a, an important question. There are multiple uh, risk factors for atrial fibrillation. The most important one, in my opinion, is age. You know, aging um, predisposes you to have atrial fibrillation. Obviously, that's a risk factor that you cannot modify. But there are other risk factors that you can actually modify. Number one, obesity or being overweight, and that's an important risk factor. Uh, having common conditions like hypertension and diabetes, if they are not treated um, in a good manner, they might predispose you to atrial fibrillation. And last but not least, um, having sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea, um, is an important risk factor for AFib. And um, as we will talk later, treating or modifying these risk factors might help uh, prevent atrial fibrillation or minimize uh, the occurrence of AFib episodes. There are also other risk factors such as having structural heart disease, meaning having valve heart disease or heart attacks or weak heart muscle. Uh, all these are potential risk factors for atrial fibrillation. Gotcha. So before we get into treatment, let me ask you this. Are there different types of AFib? You know, right now we divide AFib into um, three different types, what we call paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. It's an AFib that goes and comes. It usually lasts for a short duration time. For the purpose of definition, we consider it an AFib that lasts less than seven days. We have a persistent atrial fibrillation. It's an AFib that lasts continuously longer than seven days. And we have the term long-term persistent atrial fibrillation, which is an AFib that's been present continuously for more than one year. And this is the AFib that's usually a little bit difficult to treat. Also, some people use the term permanent atrial fibrillation. It's an AFib that's present all the time, but it's uh, after the physician and the patient agree to treat AFib uh, in a way, um, what we call rate control, just staying in AFib all the time, since some patients, as we will talk later, might not be very symptomatic when they have atrial fibrillation. Mm, very interesting. So let's talk about the first one, short-term AFib. That's the AFib that you said is characterized by lasting less than one week. How do you treat that? So, um, you know, the paroxysmal AFib or the AFib with short episode that comes and goes uh, could be treated in different manners. So um, for people who have an episode once a year or once every couple of years and really short uh, stay, stays for a short duration of time and subside on its own, we might not need any treatment per se to prevent the AFib. The only thing we focus on, as we'll discuss later, is whether these patients need blood thinners to prevent stroke. And patients who have frequent episodes um, of atrial fibrillation, uh, 
meaning they have an episode maybe once a month or once every couple of months or maybe even more once a week, we will need to use specialized medication called antiarrhythmic drugs to minimize the occurrence of these episodes. Another way to treat AFib in those patients is an ablation procedure uh, where we go inside the heart. It's an interventional procedure. We go inside the heart and we try to um, uh, burn or freeze the area where the AFib comes from. And we can discuss this later during this podcast. Um, and sometimes um, when some of these episodes last longer, they don't go at, uh, away by their own. For example, let's say patient have an episode of AFib that lasts you're at 48 hours and the patient is very symptomatic, we don't wait for it to, for seven days. We just bring the patient to the hospital and perform a procedure called cardioversion, which is basically consists of uh, using anesthesia to put the patient to sleep and uh, shocking the heart back in normal rhythm. Hmm, okay. And how about that middle one you were talking about? What, what did you call the middle one again? The, the persistent atrial fibrillation. Really, uh, okay. the persistent atrial fibrillation, by definition, is an episode that lasts seven more than seven days. In my mind, it is a continuum with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. These patients who have persistent AFib, the way I think about treating these patients is, number one, are they symptomatic? And number two, is their heart function normal or not? For example, if you have no symptoms at all, and if you're AFib, if your heart rate is controlled, you're not going in 150 or 120 beats per minute or 110 beats per minute, and you don't feel anything, there's really, we could offer the patient the approach of rate control and the use of blood thinners or anticoagulation. We don't really need to be aggressive in treating AFib. In those patients in particular, except if we see evidence of weakening of the heart muscle. Sometimes AFib is associated with weakening of the heart muscle. But in patients who have no symptoms at all and their heart function is strong, um, then we might elect not to aggressively treat AFib except by using simple medications such as beta blockers or using um, and using blood thinners. But for patients who have symptoms, some patients really struggle when they have AFib. Or for patients who have progressive weakening of the heart muscle that we believe is related to AFib, then those are the patients we need to be uh, more aggressive in treating atrial fibrillation. Number one, to improve quality of life. And number two, to prevent uh, damage to the heart muscle. And the way we could treat those patients, either using antiarrhythmic drugs, these are rhythm medication to try to keep them in normal rhythm, or go the route of an ablation. Typically in my practice and the practice of a lot of my colleagues, we go the route of the ablation, which is the invasive procedure, if the medication does not succeed in doing the trick or the medication causes significant side effects, then we go the route of the ablation. Okay, and you said that people that have permanent AFib, treating that can be tricky. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the, the patients who have what we call long-term persistent atrial fibrillation typically uh, have an enlarged upper chamber of the heart, the left atrium. And uh, we know from multiple studies that the longer you are in AFib, the harder it is to get you out of AFib. And in those patients, if, again, I go back to the theme of symptoms, if patients are symptomatic or have um, weakening of the heart muscle, a lot of the time we see in our practice patients who've been left in AFib for a long time, and the patient's really been complaining of fatigue or tiredness that most likely is related to AFib, but for some reason the AFib was not treated. They come to us and they've been in AFib for two years or three years. These are the patients that's a little bit tricky 
to get them out of AFib. They need a combination of medication and often ablation procedure. And sometimes they might be offered a more uh, invasive kind of an ablation called the conversion procedure, where we can do both have a cardiac surgeon do the ablation in the sac surrounding the heart, and we do the ablation, typical ablation. So we do what we call a conversion or combined ablation. But these are the patients overall that's a little bit more difficult to treat and might need multiple different approaches or combination of approaches to try to succeed in maintaining normal rhythm. So let me ask you this. Is it possible to treat or manage AFib through lifestyle, diet, and exercise changes? Yeah, that's um, that's very important questions. And recently, um, there's been multiple studies, and I also mentioned the, uh, mentioned in the beginning of this uh, podcast that uh, some uh, medical uh, conditions, or such as hypertension, diabetes, sleep apnea, or even weight loss, um, are very important risk factors for AFib. And recently, there's been multiple studies, especially studies coming out of Australia showing that in patients who uh, are obese and lose significant amount of weight, their AFib becomes much easier to manage. And actually, just the loss of weight itself reduces the burden of atrial fibrillation. So that's something we encourage our patients. You know, I know that sometimes it's easier said uh, than done, but really weight loss, I, I think at this stage of time, should be a cornerstone of treating atrial fibrillation. And you will see that when you lose weight, AFib is better controlled, hypertension is better controlled, even sleep apnea might be better controlled. So this is an important risk factor or lifestyle modification that could improve the control of atrial fibrillation. Also, we tell patients you need to focus on treating your high blood pressure, your diabetes. You need to be compliant with wearing the mask, the CPAP mask that's used to treat the sleep apnea. And these are definitely, this is one of the cornerstones of treating atrial fibrillation is focusing on modifying the risk factors that could lead to AFib. So it sounds like through treatment options and lifestyle changes, AFib can be managed for a lifetime. Is that correct? That's correct. And manage is a key point. Um, I tell my patients with AFib is that it might take several steps to control the atrial fibrillation. And uh, but um, patients need to be ready for um, to be involved in their treatment. They might be ready to accept that okay, we tried this approach, but it didn't work. Let's try the second approach. But eventually, we are usually able to manage atrial fibrillation and get it under reasonable control. Um, what what I didn't uh, maybe stress uh, during all this is that when I talk about treating atrial fibrillation, I think about three main things. Uh, number one, the lifestyle modification that we just discussed. Number two, preventing the occurrence of AFib or minimizing the occurrence of AFib with medication or drugs. But I want to stress the importance that preventing stroke is a, a very important aspect of a, treating AFib. And that's something we stress with all, our, all of our patients because AFib carries significant risk of stroke. And part of the treatment of AFib is the use of blood thinners to um, minimize the risk of stroke. Really good information, Dr. El Chami, and thank you so much for your time. For more information, please visit emoryhealthcare.org slash AFib. That's emoryhealthcare.org slash AFib. You're listening to Advancing Your Health with Emory Healthcare. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thanks for listening.